And indeed, you've given breath to our lungs. You've given voices to each of us in the room to declare your greatness and glory, your praises amongst all the peoples of the world. And Father, my heart this morning aches to see a people that is unified in the declaration of that praise and a people that is unified in giving words to the awe and wonder that we feel in our hearts and that we know to be true in our heads. Father, your Son in the Scriptures prayed that your people would be one, that there'd be unity, that indeed we'd be able to declare that we believe in the communion of saints, in one, one holy church that is advancing the gospel into all the nations, including the communities and cities in which we live. So Father, this morning I pray that the words that your son prayed many years ago that are recorded for us in John 17, that your people would be one, would be unified. And I pray that you would make that happen in ways that only you can by your Holy Spirit, doing work that only he is able to do in our hearts. So we stand with one voice to declare that we do believe in God our Father. We do believe in Christ the Son. We do believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in a God who is indeed three in one. Who gives us life, breath, and everything else and directs our movements in time. And so, Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would use these words to produce the fruit of unity in the lives of your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, you can open to James chapter 3. We've been working our way through this book together over the course of the last several months, and James has continued to drive at particular issues in our lives and teach us what it looks like to press our faith from abstract realities into concrete expressions. And James chapter 3 is no different. In James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 12, James is going to press into something he's already mentioned back up in earlier in chapter 1. He's going to press into the idea of our tongues, the words that we use, who we speak them to, and how we speak them. So if you have a copy of the text, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen for you as we read it together. In James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the text reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's been a great experience for my family and I over the last year to be here at Sabine Creek Fellowship. It's coming up on a year now uh, that I sat in a room over in the offices over there with the elders and had conversations about what God was doing here and what they were looking for and what we were looking for. And, and, and through the course of those conversations and the exposure to people here, God opened up an opportunity for my wife to come and serve uh, and, and help lead this church forward into what God has for us in the future. And over the course of those last 12 months, almost 12 months now, coming up in a few weeks, over the course of those last 12 months, We've seen new people added to our number almost on a weekly basis. There are new faces showing up regularly and routinely each week. And it amazes me sometimes to think how people find us out here on 300 acres of ranch land tucked away off of the beaten path where the only way basically you know that we're here is if somebody says, hey, you should come to our church. And so I would affirm you for inviting people to come and be a part of what God's doing here because I'm not really sure how else they find out about us. All right? And over the course of the last year as well, we've had uh, 32 individuals who have said, yes, sign me up. We want to become covenant members here. We want to be a part of what God is doing in the life of Sabine Creek Fellowship and through Sabine Creek Fellowship in the life of our city. And that's been incredible to see. Um, where when, our, our, when we arrived last spring, there were about 60 or 70 folks. Um, and over the course of uh, that time, we've added 32 people, individuals, that's about 17 families to the life of our fellowship. However, we all are aware as well that uh, anytime there's a change in leadership, sometimes people come and sometimes people go. And so we've also had folks who have determined that maybe a different church right now is the best place for them and their family. And I, there's no ill will and there's no resentful feelings, but that's just kind of the way things happen on occasions. And so I, think, I don't think it's any, and that's begun to unfold for us somewhat recently as well, as far as people kind of transitioning and feeling like God was directing them into a different place of service or a different place for fellowship or a different place for worship. And so I don't think that it's any coincidence whatsoever that the text that we have before us this morning is before us this morning. It's no coincidence in my life and it's no coincidence in your life that we're pressing into what James has to say about the words that we use. Because in this season, at this moment, at this juncture in the history of our church, the things that we say to and about one another have the potential either to unify us or divide us. They have the potential to, to, potential to knit us together or, or, or split us apart. They have the potential to create a corrosive effect in our lives or a galvanizing effect in our lives. Our words are vital and important. And so it's no coincidence to me, um, as I've read through this text this week, uh, that, that, that we're, this is where we are. I didn't know months ago when I determined to teach through James that this is where we would be, but this is where we are. And so this text is before us. 
And it's incredibly important that we heed the words of what James says to us today because either it will, they will propel us into the future in a way that will be very healthy and very God-honoring and very unifying and very co cohesive or propels into a future where there are going to be fractures and there will be divisions and there will be splits and there will be all kinds of dissension and strife. And I would much rather raise my hand and vote for the former as, as opposed to the latter. And I'm sure you would as well. I feel the weight of this text, even this week, as I had to extend an apology or attempt to extend an apology to someone who I felt like I jumped a step ahead of in my correspondence with them and trying to make a connection. Right? Because of the words. Right? Words are vital. They're important. James says that they are. And listen, I believe that God has great things in store for us as a church, but one of the things that will determine the degree to which you and I are a part of what he has in store for us here as a church is how we respond to this text this week. A huge part of whether or not God will work through us or have to work around us or will have to move us on and work apart from us depends upon how we respond to what James says to us and what God says to us through what James says in James chapter 3. So let's dig in and see what he has to say. First of all, listen to what James says about our words. He says, first of all, he says, our words, we're accountable for them. Each and every one of us are accountable for our words. We're accountable for the things that we say. We're accountable for the things that we write in emails. We're accountable for the things that we post on social media. We're accountable. We have to give an answer for those things. Listen to what James says, and particularly to teachers, but I think by extension to everyone who is a Christ follower. Listen to what he says in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says teachers are going to be judged more strictly. They're going to be judged with greater stringency. We're perhaps going to have tighter parameters around how we might judge those who stand before us to open the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. Teachers are going to be judged more strictly, absolutely. And I want you to know that I feel this every week. Every single week. In my correspondence with people through emails and the phone call conversations that I have. In the face-to-face -face meetings that I sit across the tables uh, in local coffee shops with them. And every week when I stand before you to open the Bible and say, this is what God says. I feel this weight. And there's perhaps no one in this room or in the life of our church who feels this weight resting on their shoulders more. But James says that's the way that it should be. But I want you to notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say only teachers are going to be judged by what they say. He says teachers will be judged with greater strictness with regards to the words that they employ and the words that they use and their, the way that they interact and engage with people verbally. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say, listen, teachers are going to be judged for that, but you all get a free pass. That's not what he says, right? He doesn't say teachers are going to be judged, but no one else will. He says teachers will be held to a higher standard and be judged with greater strictness. But by, by implication, that means that all of us are accountable for what we say. We might hold teachers accountable to a higher degree because of the frequency with which they speak words. Right? Or because of the subject about what they are speaking about, we might hold them to a higher standard. But all of us, at some level, 
in the context of our relationships as a body, as a church, are accountable for what we say. James doesn't say everyone gets a free pass. He didn't say the hearers won't be judged at all for what they say. He just says teachers will be judged stricter. And you know this from your own experience, don't you? Because all, we've all been called to account for things that we've said in the past, haven't we? Right? We've all been called to account for things that we've sent in electronic communication or posted on social media in the past. The words that came out of our mouths, we've all been called to account for them. In fact, James goes on to say, not just teachers. Man, this has happened like a lot lately. Um, he says, not just teachers. It says, but all of us stumble in many ways. And he's not just talking about a variety of types of sins, but he's talking about particularly this one. He says, we all stumble in many ways in the ways that we employ our words. We stumble in with the way we employ our words with our kids, or with our spouse, or with our co-workers, or with our neighbors, or with those who are part of our family of faith, our fellowship here in the church. We stumble in many ways, he says. So he's not just saying teachers stumble in many ways, but all of us stumble in many ways. And in fact, if you read throughout the Bible over and over again, you're going to see one of the expressions of our fallenness is the way that we employ our words. For instance, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul concludes kind of his summary of the sinful state of all humanity with these words. In verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he says this in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul's not talking about teachers. He's talking about the plight of all of sinful humanity. Each and every one of us. Now, teachers and leaders in the context of a local congregation uh, indeed do um, have a greater strictness by which they are judged. As one commentator said, he said, teaching provides temptation to virtually every form of evil speech, arrogance and domination over students, anger and pettiness or at contradiction or inattention, slander and meanness toward absent opponents or flattery of students for the sake of vainglory. He said, when you stand before people and you teach, it opens up the door wide to all these expressions of sinful speech. But all of us, each of us, are accountable for our words. We're accountable for our careless words. You ever spoken a careless word before? Anybody want to sign up for that confession this week, right? Yeah, we've all been there where words have come out in a moment and we didn't really think through what we were saying. They just kind of like, you know, that, that feeling you get whenever your stomach's a little bit nauseous and just all of a sudden stuff starts flowing out. You have those kind of careless words that come out in a moment's notice and they wound people, don't they? But perhaps not even just careless words, but the calculated ones potentially hurt even worse. When you know exactly what's going to drive and penetrate deep into someone's heart and yet you say it anyway. Or perhaps our deceptive words, whenever we might say one thing to someone's face and we turn around and do something different behind their back. Or our destructive words. In fact, you may have heard this little adage, right? the little, fairy, the little um, saying that you had when we were kids where it says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That, that, is, that, that, that is a lie, okay? Let me just go ahead and say, that's a lie, 
Right? Here's how you should say it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but only words will penetrate deep within my soul. Like a knife to the heart. And James says, although teachers are judged with greater strictness for what they say, each of us is accountable for our words. And we have to be very careful in this season, in the life of our church, what we say and how we say it. We're all accountable. Second thing that James says about our tongues is this. He says our tongues are incredibly powerful. And here's why. Because our tongues have the power to reveal who we really are. Our tongues have the power to reveal who we really are. In verses 11 and 12, James asks a series of rhetorical questions. Listen to what he says in verses 11 and 12. First, he asks if a spring pours out from it the same hole both fresh and salt water. And his implied answer to that rhetorical question is no, right? Does a spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt? He says, no, it does not. Second, he asks, if one kind of fruit tree can produce another kind of fruit. Right? Can a fig tree produce grapes? Or a grapevine produce figs? He says, no, it doesn't work that way. Right? You've got whatever type of a tree that is, the type of a vine that is, that's the kind of fruit that it bears and produces. Finally, he comes down to the end to draw a conclusion by saying that if you cup your hands and you reach into a salty pond, you're not going to pull out fresh water. But if you go to the Dead Sea and you go in and you cup your hands and you go to pull it out and think you're going to have a nice drink of refreshing, cool, spring-fed water, you're mistaken because it's so salty that it's going to cause you perhaps to vomit it back out of your stomach. So you don't cup your hands and dip it into the ocean and think you're going to get a drink of fresh water. What James essentially is saying this to the point is, is that what's in there is what comes out of there. What comes out of there is what's in there. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospels when he says the mouth speaks from the what? From the overflow of the heart. So what comes out of the mouth is coming from somewhere. And Jesus says it's coming from inside. And so our words are incredibly powerful because our words have the potential. And they don't just have the potential, they actually do reveal who we are. On the inside. Even in our moments of carelessness. Even in our moments of calculation. In our moments of deception. In our moments of seeking to be destructive. Our words reveal what's going on in our hearts. Notice the illustrations that James uses earlier in the text. In verses 3 through 5. talks about a bit in the mouth of a horse. He talks about the rudder on a ship. But notice... Right? The bit in the mouth of the horse is controlled by a rider who is directing it in a particular direction. Or the rudder is steered by the will of the pilot, James says, in a particular course. Same with our words. They're being steered by something. And Jesus says it's being steered by our heart. Richard Baxter, it's a great Puritan pastor, said this. He said, the first and great work of a Christian is about his heart. There it is that God dwells by His Spirit and His saints, and there it is that sin and Satan reign in the ungodly. The great duties and the great sins are those of the heart. There is the root of good and evil. The tongue and life are but fruits and expressions of that which dwells within. He says, whatever's rolling off of your lips is coming out of your heart. It's coming out of your heart. 
And so here's how I might word this. The tongue, listen, the tongue is not an instigator. It's an indicator. It's an indicator. It's kind of like the, like the light that goes off on your dashboard. And by the way, if you've been driving around with the lights on your dashboard going off for a while, you probably ought to pull it into a shop and get it looked at, right? Here's why. Because the light on your dashboard isn't the problem. The problem is somewhere else under the hood. Deep down under all those cables and metal, there's something going on, right? When the check engine light comes on on your dashboard, the check engine light is not the issue. The blown head gasket is the issue, right? Or a leaky, uh, a low, low oil in your oil pan is the issue. That's the issue. It's underneath, James says. And the tongue is like an indicator light on the dashboard of our lives. And so when things start coming out that are filled with all kinds of hatred or carelessness or calculation or deception or destruction, James says you've got to look underneath that. You've got to dig down below that because that's where your issue is. It's in the heart. It's in the heart. You've got to look yourself in the mirror and you've got to say, what's going on in here? What's going on in here? What's happening under the hood? Because when there's something going on under the hood, eventually those lights are going to start flashing all over the dashboard. And James says, one of those lights is what, what's coming out of your mouth. What's coming out of my mouth. So our tongue has the power to reveal. But I want you to consider what else James says about the tongue and why it's so vital that we've got to be accountable for our words. It's because our words, our tongues, have the power not only to reveal who we are, but also redirect our lives. They have the power to redirect our lives. Look at what he says in verses 3 to 5. He talks about how the tongue, though small in size, it has the power in the same way that a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship has the power to direct or to steer in a particular course or direction. So if the rider pulls on the reins of a horse that's connected to the bit in his mouth and turns it in a particular direction, that horse is headed in a different direction. If the captain, according to his will and the course that he has set, turns the wheel of the ship, which turns the rudder down beneath it, and the winds as it catches it, the, the rudder creates that resistance and friction in the water, it's going to push him in a different direction. And our tongues, James says, though they are small, like that bit in the horse's mouth, and like the rudder on the bottom of a the ship, they're not the big massive sails that are catching the wind, and they are not necessarily the reins, but that small pieces that have the power to shape the course of the future. James says, says, that's what your tongue is. It's like a bit and it's like a rudder. Has the power to, like the bit has a power to direct the movements of this massive animal and the rudder has the, the, the impact to direct and steer the course of a massive ship. The tongue, can, the tongue can steer us and it can direct us as well. It can direct our lives, it can direct our relationships, it can direct the course of this church going forward. And here's where my heart is this morning. I want you to consider the fact that the words that we speak in this season that we find ourselves to be in as a church, the words that come out of our mouths, which are coming from somewhere within our hearts, the words that we speak have the power to either unify us or divide us, to direct us toward unity and galvanizing us, or they have the power to corrode us and, and split us down the middle. This, this small little thing that's stuck inside of our mouth, anatomically, 
attached to the back of our throats has the power to direct the course of our lives and the course of this church. How often have you heard somebody make this statement, right? I, I, I left that church because of what that person, what? Said to me or said about me. You might not have heard that before. I, I, I'll go ahead and say, I've heard that a lot, right? What, can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they, what, they, what they said to me or what they said about me or how they said it to me? To work to the power to steer in a particular direction. And listen, if, if we are careless and if we are calculated and destructive and deceptive with our words, here's what we're going to wind up doing. We're going to take the wheel of the ship and we're going to turn it all the way to the left and we're going to head straight for the rocks. And if you don't know anything about navigating waters, heading toward the rocks in a boat is not a good course. It's not a good direction. Because what inevitably will happen is there will be rocks that will penetrate the hull of the ship and it will cause us to take on water and sink. And we will sink. Words have the power to steer. They have the power to direct the course of our church, the course of your life groups, and the way that you speak with people, and the way that you speak to people, and the words that you use with them has the power to direct the course of those smaller groups that we're in, the ministries that we have leaders, leadership over, the people that we're trying to connect with in our community to share the gospel and show the gospel. It's really hard to show the gospel when God's people are criticizing and attacking and calculated and deceptive with one another. It's really hard to show the unity of Jesus' church when we're careless with our words. They have incredible power to reveal who you are. They can redirect the course of your life and of our church. That's why we've got to be accountable for them. That's why I have to be accountable for mine. And you have to be accountable for yours. Because if we're not, we'll wind up destroying what God is doing. Because what James tells us as well is that the untamed tongue is incredibly destructive. Look at what he says in the text. He says that the tongue is a restless evil. The restless evil. What he means by that is this, is that the untamed tongue is unstable and it's unable to rest, right? You ever been restless in the evenings and you're laying down and you just can't stop moving like your legs just kind of, you ever have kind of restless leg syndrome? You're laying in bed and your legs are just kind of going all over the place because you can't relax? James says the tongue is kind of like that. It's got a restless evil about it. That it, Whenever it gets going and it's careless or it's calculated or it's deceptive or it's destructive, it just continues it never comes to an end. It's unstable. It's kind of like an avalanche, like a rock that begins to fall from the heights of a mountain. And it, before you know it, it's hit several other rocks and it begins to create this massive landslide. In fact, one 15th century Italian preacher said it this way. He said, your tongue is as a great rock that rolls from the summit of a mountain and it first falls slowly, then ever faster and more furiously. And I've been there. I'm sure you've been there as well. Whenever words start to come out, it seems like it just kind of, they just kind of roll off a little faster and more frequently whenever you un unleash that gate, when you open that gate up. When your heart begins to boil over, 
As Jesus says, you're speaking from somewhere and it's coming from in here. When your heart begins to boil over, all of a sudden that rock begins to fall and it creates a massive landslide that's destructive. But James also says, not only is it restless like an avalanche, but it's also deadly like a poison. It's like a poison. So he says in the text, he says, your tongue is a deadly poison. Our words have the potential to poison our lives and the lives of others. Listen, some of us in the room this morning, we're still struggling with, we're still wrestling with words that were spoken to us years ago. Years ago. Things that were said to us, things that were said about us years ago because our words oftentimes can be like toxic chemicals that you, they might store in a metal barrel and just go bury in your backyard, right? That's probably not the best way to dispose of toxic waste is to go bury it six feet under in a backyard in a metal barrel that's going to corrode over time because eventually you're going to find seepage all in your yard that's going to make you sick. And our words are very similar to that. Some of us are still struggling with things that were said to us by parents whenever we were kids. We're still struggling with things that were said to us by teachers in school. We're still struggling with things that were said to us by friends in our college years. We're still struggling with things that were said to us by spouses or former spouses. In relationships, because those words are like toxic chemicals and poisons that continue to seep into life. James says it's, it's, it's deadly. It will destroy you. And it will destroy those around you. And he said, don't just think that what's going on in your heart because of what someone said to you years ago is not affecting those around you. Because he says, in the same way, right? Think of it this way. If you were to go out and fish in one of the ponds around here or on your property or someone else's property, and this time of the year is a great time of the year to get really lit up by a cotton mouth, okay? Because they're starting to kind of come out of hibernation. And say so you're fishing on somebody's property or pond and cotton mouth comes slithering up and you don't see that, that guy, right? And he goes ahead and latches onto your calf. Probably not a good day for you, okay? And so the way to go about addressing that is not just by taking a band-aid and putting it over the little four holes that he made in your leg. But you gotta go and you gotta get treatment. You gotta get anti-venom serum injected into your body, or you gotta get somebody that's willing to go ahead and bite onto that thing and try and suck out as much as they can and spit it out. Right? Because that venom eventually is going to do something to you, right? It's not just going to affect that one part of your calf. What's going to happen? It's going to wind up circulating through your body and it's going to affect every tissue and organ. Every tissue and organ. And James says that's, why, that's our words. An untamed tongue, he says, is destructive, it's deadly. It will cause seepage in your life and it will eventually begin to infect the lives of others. And I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And I do not want that for Jesus' church. So we've got to be accountable for what we say. Now, if all this is true, if the untamed tongue is deadly and destructive, if it reveals who we are, and if it can redirect who we are, then how is it that we go about trying to tame this thing that's full of poison and that causes landslides and creates mass casualties and pushes people away and causes division? How do we get a handle on it? There's bad news first, and now I'll tell you the good news. The bad news is you can't. Listen to what James says. He says, 
in the, in the text that we just read in verses 7 to 8, he says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. He said, there's no man, woman, or child that has the capacity in and of themselves to tame what's coming out of their mouths. And I think the reason that he says that is because James understands where what's coming out of our mouths comes from. And he says, no human being can tame the tongue because no human being can tame the heart. I don't know if you've ever tried. I don't know if you've ever tried to give yourself a new heart. Pretty hard to do. Right? You need somebody else to do that for you. But James says the tongue is an indicator on the dashboard of your life of something that's going on under the hood. And what you've got to do is you've got to dig down and address what's going on under the hood so that you can cause that light indicator to go off. You've got to fix the problem underneath before that indicator that's flashing in front of your eyes goes away. And I want you to see what James says. He says the only way that you can fix what's going on under the hood, the only way you can fix it is through worship. The only way you can fix it is through worship. And you've got to make your life the venue for worship. Not just a gathering on Sunday mornings, but you've got to make every moment, every hour of every day the venue for worship. Listen to what James says in the text. He says, you can't tame your tongue. There's no one who can. But in verses 9 and 10, he says, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Now notice what James contrasts. He doesn't contrast blessing people and cursing people. He doesn't contrast praising people and putting people down. That's not what he contrasts. He contrasts praising God, blessing God, ascribing worth and worship to God with cursing people who are made in His likeness. That's the contrast. See, if James was just contrasting, he says, listen, it shouldn't be that you would use your tongue to, 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 to curse people. You should use your tongue to bless people. That's not what James is saying. He didn't contrast blessing people and cursing people. If he did, then all we would need is like some of the exercises in the back of a self-help manual to help us control our tongue. Because some of us could go out of here and we could say, listen, I'm going to work really hard this week. I'm going to do all these exercises and check off all these boxes to try and get a better rain on what's coming out of my mouth. And that'll work for about a week. <laughs> Maybe a few days. Maybe a couple of hours. Right? It's got a shelf life. Those exercises have a shelf life and they don't last very long. Because... Your will is incapable of producing the kind of change that's necessary for what's coming out of your mouth to really have longevity and change. James says you can't do it alone. That's why he didn't contrast blessing men and cursing men. He says with your tongue you bless God and you curse men who are made in His likeness. He says it's rather hypocritical to stand before God with your hands raised and hands lifted and eyes closed and sing praises to Jesus and then turn around and those who are created and formed in His image, He says, to rip them a new one. Right, that's pretty hypocritical, He says. Or to speak carelessly, or to speak calculated. Words that you know will be destructive and deadly and will wound. And you come back on some day, praise Jesus. He says it shouldn't be that way. 
And the only way that it won't be that way is if you make your life, not just this gathering on Sunday morning, your venue for worship. So that all of your life, your heart is, is, is moving upward toward God and satisfied in Him and loving Him and honoring Him and worshiping Him seven days a week and not just one hour on Sundays. Think that you should make your life the venue of worship, and only when you do will you begin to notice that what's coming out of the mouth is changing because the heart is changing as you begin to worship Jesus Christ. He says, see, James says in verse 2, he says, Listen, if anyone can control what they say, they're a perfect man. And there is only one person who ever fit that description. And he's not me. And he's not you. And his name is Jesus. He's the only man who ever fit that description. He's the only man who ever spoke nothing but the truth, only the truth, nothing but the truth, and always the truth in ways that were very loving and humble and gracious. But he spoke the truth. The only man who ever fit that description. And see, until you see, until I see, and I'm cap- my heart and the eyes of my heart are captivated by this truth that Jesus, who was perfect in everything that he ever said, he was crushed because I couldn't tame my tongue or tame my heart. He was crushed for my sin, for my careless words, for my calculated words, for my deceptive words, for my destructive words, for the deadly poison that's seeping out of my life into the lives of others. He was crushed for that. Until you see that. And until you rejoice in that, not just on Sundays, but every day, every day, you got no shot of taming your tongue. But if you will see that, and if you will rejoice in that day in and day out, the fact that Jesus was crushed because no human being can tame the tongue and no human heart is pure, then it will change you into a person who puts out fires rather than starts them. It will change you and I into a person who is able not only to infect others with our words, but heal them. Because you will become a person who begins to address the source, not just the symptoms of what's going on. So we'll, we'll, i got to look in the mirror and ask myself this question. Will I be someone that God is able to work through or someone God has to work around? To see what God wants to do in and through the life of His church. A large, to a large degree depends on how we respond to what James says to us. About our words. You've got to be accountable for them. They show who you are. They have the power to redirect and steer us in a healthy or an unhealthy direction. I do not want to move toward destruction and restless evil and poison that would seep and infect the lives of many, but rather through worship, through our hearts being captivated with Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Not just being our example of how to talk, but the fact that He was crushed because we couldn't talk the way that we needed to. And that our hearts, we would worship Him, be captivated with Him every day. And so because the source begins to change, the symptoms would begin to change because what's under the hood is being addressed and fixed, and the dashboard indicator lights 
begin to slowly go out. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your word is so clear to us. Your word is so relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. We just have to see its relevance in our lives. And Father, I pray, as I prayed before we open the scriptures, I pray that you would make your people one. I pray there would be unity. I pray that we would move away from anything that would cause division or strife. Father, I pray for my own heart, knowing that I'll have to give an account for the words that I speak one day as a teacher in your church. Father, I pray that you'd help me make my life from this point on Sunday to the to 12 or 11.30 next Sunday, over the course of these next seven days, that my life would be a venue for worship and my heart would be so satisfied with Jesus. That what's going on under the surface would bubble over into the things that I'm saying to people and the ways that I encourage people and the ways that we have to correct people at times, but it would be in love and grace and not self-validation or justification. <clears throat> Father, I pray that each of us in the room this morning would take stock of the words that are coming out of our mouth, and I pray that if there are issues in our hearts that are causing carelessness, our calculation, our deception, our destruction. I pray that you'd help us to tackle those head on with the person and work of Christ. And I pray that you would raise up a people here who can truly sing and believe in the communion of saints in one holy church that your breath is filling our lungs. And so we're not starting fires, but we're putting them out. May you give us the grace to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you, next weekend we'll celebrate communion together. Uh, it's a great time in the life of our fellowship as we remember Jesus shed uh, blood and broken body. I want to encourage you this week, that if you've spoken words to someone that you need to circle back and have another conversation with him, that before you come to the table next weekend, that you take these next seven days and you seek to do everything as so far as it depends on you to make peace in that relationship. Deal? Deal. May you go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.